you're an impact investor and believe in the power of patient capital to change lives, build communities, and create a more inclusive economy, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the best podcast, short for Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, where we share the impact of patient capital when combined with the grit, resilience, and determination of Black entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, both based in Newark, New Jersey, where I have a passion for all things social impact, economic development, and community empowerment. On this episode of The Best Podcast, I'm joined by Marcus Crawford, a young and hungry entrepreneur who co-founded Burritos Food Truck with some friends in 2016. After doing some initial market research, Marcus and his co-founder, Jonathan Gibbs, saw an opportunity in the New Jersey market for a Mexican-style burrito truck, eventually leading them to launch their own truck in 2016. With the onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic this last year, Marcus and his team used ingenuity and perseverance to keep Burrito in the fight, despite operating at zero revenue for several months. They pivoted into e-commerce, offering mail-order taco kits, adjusted their in-person offerings to accommodate 50-person or less social distance gatherings, and started aligning with channel partners to get in front of more customers. Through all the chaos, Marcus found a silver lining, managing to thrive during the pandemic, expanding Burrito into a brick-and-mortar location, as well as multiple food trucks. In the following episode, Marcus shares insight into how he managed to survive and thrive this last year and a half, and what the future holds for Burrito. Before you hear from Marcus and I, make sure you subscribe to the Best Podcast newsletter at the link in your show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of Black entrepreneurs. We appreciate you tuning in with us today and hope you enjoy the following episode. Marcus, welcome to the best podcast. What's going on, brother? Another day, man. Appreciate you having me. Uh, been looking forward to this conversation. So, I think we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of information, you know, between the both of us. That's gonna help move us both forward. For our listeners that can't see Marcus, he's rocking a burritos uh, sweatshirt. It's pretty dope, and uh, definitely am, am envious of it. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I I, I like. Anytime we get to do these interviews, it's always amazing just being able to kind of network with other uh, black entrepreneurs. Um, and so it's like, I, I feel like we can just chop it up all day. But what I, one of the things I want you to do for our listeners is uh, let's go ahead and just introduce them to who you are, a little bit about your background, and talk to us about Burritos. Okay. Uh, so again, my, my name is Marcus Crawford uh, from Central Jersey down in Old Bridge. Um, you know, raised in a, in a middle working class family. Both my parents woke up really early to, you know, go and get it to, to provide for myself, my younger brother, um, and the rest of the family. And I think that's the, the trigger for myself wanting to be an entrepreneur, you know, watching them get up super early and work long hours and, um, and provide for us. It was kind of like, yeah, that's great. I want to be able to provide for my family too, but I don't want to be on somebody else's clock. Um, so I went down to school down in Florida at FIU, studied business marketing and real estate, did a double major there while um, playing basketball as well. I like to throw that in there because there's a lot of athletes that kind of, you know, got to find their way after after sports. Um, 
moved back up north to work in the city. But at the time of my graduation, which was 2010, we were kind of at the tail end of the recession from the, from the housing crash in 08. Uh, so it's super hard to find a job. You know, I put a million applications out and realistically ended up working at TGI Fridays with a degree. Um, and that was another thing that, you know, I had to sit back and think about it quite a bit. Like, wow, I, you know, I went away to college. I did what I was supposed to do, quote unquote, what I was supposed to do. And, um, you know, I'm still at Fridays as a, as a, as a host and just wasn't really satisfied where I was. So that is another trigger to, all right, I got to figure something out. Um, I started working for a company called the original suit man. Uh, I built their first food truck business, started running their first food truck business and then pivoted to create my own, which is burritos. Uh, we were based in New Jersey and we decided that burritos was the menu option we wanted to go with because we we're also able to sell tacos and burritos and things of that nature. But there were no burrito trucks in the state of New Jersey. There were only taco trucks at the time. So we became the first burrito truck, first and only burrito truck in the state, and um, just created a fun brand around it. You know, we got bright lime green. The name is, you know, the name pop. The food is good. And ever since then, which was in 2016, we've just been rolling, <laughs> just rolling. Where'd you get your initial capital from to launch the business? Um, so the initial capital came from, you know, my father helped me out with, uh, you know, with some credit card money on that first business with Original Suitman. Uh, Cause that was our first business. And what we did was we actually had some profits from there that we rolled over into burritos. Uh, but the first way in, in a way that I always advise to some people is, Hey, you might not be able to be, well, you can't go to the bank without business experience or without financial history of two to three years um, to get capital. So if you have family and friends, that's great. Or if you're able to get a credit card with 0% interest, you know, with a little bit of credit on there, you go ahead and use that and you won't have to pay it back for another year. Uh, and that's kind of what my what my dad set me set me up with, and that's what we did to get our you know get things rolling. How much capital did it take to get started? Uh, less than ten thousand on the first one. Yeah, less than ten thousand. And you said the first one, so you got multiple food trucks. Yeah, so I, like again, our first business was less than ten thousand, and then we when we bought our our truck for burritos, we spent I spent eight thousand on the truck itself and then myself and my partners and friends a lot of friends came and we actually built that truck with our hands um and then in 20 so that's 2016 and then 20 2019 going to 2020 <laughs> we bought another truck for five thousand and we gutted that one ourselves but then we had somebody else build it out for us which cost us about 30 and then we also opened up a storefront and that that both of those things happened in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, we're going to get into that, but that's a, absolutely amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just talking to you, I can already see the sharpness in like your business acumen. I'm like, man, we got to, you know, we got to do some stuff together. Um, now, one of the things I want to ask you is, as you start to look back specifically over the last 16 months, 18 months or so with the pandemic and all the unrest it caused, within the small business community and then add on top of that, you know, the racial unrest caused by the death of George Floyd. And right. you think about the word resilience, right? As you look back at that time for you, what does resilience mean to you? Um, you know, for me specifically was, was keeping it going. You know, there was a lot of opportunities to just say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't going to work. We could move on and go do some other things. We could shut this down and, 
you know, file for unemployment. We, we could do a bunch of different things and just let it go and not have to deal with the headache of trying to keep these doors open. But I just felt it was super important to, you know, push the envelope not only for myself because it's something that we've been working on for years despite a pandemic, but for my, my partners that have been doing this with me. And, uh, you know, they put a lot of faith in me to, to guide us through. And the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, let something completely out of our control control our narrative. So us pushing through and us, you know, finding ways to to make things work using our ingenuity and being able to adapt just shows that, you know, even through a pandemic, our business can survive. So when things do come back to a better space, our business will, will thrive. Y'all, uh, for our listeners, you can't see over Marcus's shoulder. He got his food truck picture. He got a whiteboard up. I mean, this, this brother is getting it. He's ready to go. Um, and kudos to you because, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of small-owned business in general haven't made it. Um, right. And then black-owned businesses, you know, even worse. Um, right. And so that's why I'm I'm also amped up when I see uh, entrepreneurs like yourself succeeding, you know, surviving and thriving. Now, yeah, let's go man. a little bit deeper over the last 16 months, right? I know you said you were hustling, right, essentially. You know, in Newark, we got a saying that Newark is for hustlers. And not like the the and when we say hustlers, we just mean entrepreneurs that are trying to find a way to get it done. Nothing illegal, right. but if they gotta sell t-shirts, if we gotta clean, uh, if we gotta sweep barbershops, whatever, you figure it out, you make your money. How were you physically able to survive? So talk to us about like March 12th, everything shuts down, right? <laughs> now you had a food truck business, so I'd assume that you were still able to move around, but that might not be the case. So so enlighten us. <laughs> All right, so March 12th, <laughs> sorry, I got to laugh at it because it's just thinking back to, I, I'm I'm a person that likes to be proactive versus reactive. So I saw it coming. Um, and before we get to March 12th, we had aligned, we had aligned a loan with Chase to help us cover some of the debt we were taking on opening a truck in the store. Chase out of the blue withdrew our loan. That was one of the signs, like, wait, why? Why does this happen? They had no answers for us, but, you know, I always suspected it was a pandemic. Um, the store doors are not ready to be open. We failed our first set of inspections probably around that time of March 12th. And then our food truck business could have operated in terms of being takeout only or delivering from the truck, but we didn't have a set, a set location. We tend to travel to our locations being corporate offices, residential apartments, private private events in people's homes, and sometimes festivals. If you look at all four of those things, every last one of them were shut down. Corporate offices, everybody was working from home, so we get zero revenue from there. The apartment buildings that we could have went to were nervous and scared because of the pandemic, so they said no food trucks, shut us down. Um, people's homes, you couldn't have gatherings over, I believe it was 10 or, or 20 at the time, so there was really no point in us taking a food truck to somebody's house for 10 people. And then festivals, you can't have large gatherings again, shut down. So we were running a zero a zero revenue up until, I believe, April 8th when we were finally able to open the store doors. Um, and our truck business, being one truck at the time, because the second one was being built, was just sitting there. We had nothing to do with it. We actually ended up using it to uh, do some community events. That's where we were able to, to grab some things, but it wasn't enough to you know survive and, and sustain realistically. Uh, we did some some meal drop-offs for people facing food insecurities, 
meal drop-offs for like frontliners. Um, we did things like that to help us keep the doors open, but it really wasn't our normal source of revenue. Um, truck two was done being built, and the the truck builder was calling me to come pick it up, but I'm telling him <laughs> I'm telling him no, I can't come get it because I can't pay you the other half that we owe you at this time. And uh, yeah, so it was just rough, man. It was super rough, like literally running on a zero revenue for a month, month and a half, trying to figure out what we were going to do, and then we just again, kind of start working with other organizations to put ourselves in front of frontliners, put ourselves in front, in front of others facing food insecurities, um, just aligning with like that. I can imagine the revenue from like the festivals and the corporate offices and to lose that significant amount of revenue, yeah. hit the cash flow. Mm-hmm. What were you able to identify as a pivot to target? Um, at the time, you know, the social injustice piece played in our favor because people were now seeking black businesses. So for them to be seeking black businesses, they found us. Um, so that helped us create some new relationships in our new area in Hackensack, which is a place that we were never really serving at um, and didn't get to have a grand opening, didn't get to do any of that stuff when we opened our doors because of the pandemic. Uh, so that was very helpful you know, aligning with third-party services for delivery, um, doing takeout out of the store, that was helpful. Uh, so those were the things that we were able to find that that worked to get us to the next day, you know, and just, okay, well, we got this today, we get us to the next day. And it was really a week-by-week process until we were able to start, you know, applying for some of the, you know, the, the government help. One of the things that the pandemic has also done and it's in addition to like hurting a lot of businesses, it's also been an accelerant for a lot of businesses as it's shown us new possibilities. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs and I would throw myself in that bucket that have managed to thrive during the pandemic. You know, I launched Ironbound Media, our podcast production agency. Um, and I don't know if I would ever had stepped out and to do it had the pandemic not forced me to do it. So when you start looking within you know, burritos and opportunities to thrive and see this silver lining. Talk to us about how you were able to use the pandemic as an accelerant. Um, I think as an extent, once the restrictions were our biggest problem, you know, not realistically not being able to use our trust. But once we were in position or once some of the restrictions loosened, now we can go do events for 50 people or less. We were able to tailor our catering menu on our truck to 50 people or less. Um, you know, we dropped our rates a bit to meet, you know, people's needs at, at their homes, but it made sense for them and it made sense for us. That was that was pretty big for us once, uh, I think June, July hit. I, I believe that's when we really were able to start rolling. Uh, we actually pivoted into creating a, a deliverable taco kit so now we could send our our brand across the nation. Uh, comes with you know twelve taco shells and taco sauce, as well as our seasoning and then our branding with a whole story behind it. Uh, so that thing was a great pivot for us. And then using some of this government assistance we were able to apply for, that turned out to give us better terms than that chase loan I discussed. We were able to finish or complete our expansion. You know, with the bills that we had due, we're able to use like the EIDL loan to complete that. And then now we have a better interest rate versus the one we were going to take on for Chase. 
Um, so ours is more so about being able to operate. Now that we're able to operate our three units, our business is far better than it was prior to the pandemic, but that's what we're planning anyway because we're expanding from one to three units. Do you feel like you're thriving now? Uh, I mean, I'm always looking for what's next. So I think we're in a very good space right now. I think we're in a very good space. Um, to me, thriving would be all three of my units really rocking and our store is still having some struggles. Uh, you know, our storefront space is still having some struggles because people are still working from home. Um, the residential area that's around us is being developed. So there isn't, there aren't a lot of people that live there. Uh, so that, you know, that business alone, like our storefront is, is not doing well, but our trucks, they're, they're killing it. Like they're killing it. So that aspect, yeah, that's thriving, but the store side is, is definitely not. Yeah, brick and mortar is pretty hard mm -hmm. these days, I would imagine. Um, but yeah. it likes, it's it's nice that you've got like the diversification going with the food trucks as well. Right. Um, and are you doing any kind of content play to drive traffic to the locations? Um, so one, yeah, brick and mortar is, is tough. But for us, just to dive back a little bit, we're using the brick and mortar as a hub and spoke model. So we need to create a, a space where our trucks can prep inventory, blow out inventory if necessary. Uh, we can park the trucks. It's office space. Um, we can hire now. We can hire more people um, and have like this one location that we basically run our business out from. Whereas if we just had the two trucks and a commissary, we're kind of lacking on the other spaces. Um, and then, what well, say, say your question for me one more time? No, I was just asking. Um, I was referencing the fact that brick and mortar is pretty hard. But it's right. good that you have these other uh, ways to generate revenue. But you just right. said it. You're like, it's more than just brick and mortar. This is a re-up, refit. You know, I'm a right. Marine. Right. So you got to have that. You got to have that OP, <laughs> that PB. We call it patrol base that you can go back okay. to. Yeah. So that's kind of what it, that's, that's kind of what it, what it is for us. It's, it's a home, you know, it's our, and we call it a flagship because it's our first store. We want people to be able to go there and catch our vibe. Also, when it comes to like some of these catering opportunities, people want to try our food. But since the trucks are all over the place, we don't have anywhere to, to send them. So it's like, hey, you go to Hackensack, try the food, because the store is always going to be there versus trying to find us on the road. Um, and we actually just started trying to tap into some like target geo-targeting with ads, as well as building up our SEO. Um, and we're really just starting that over the past month so that we can start targeting people and doing more marketing to bring in bring in the revenue, especially to the store side. Um, so we're, we're kind of finding out how that's going to go for us. What is your long-term goal? Like, where do you mm -hmm. see burritos in the future? I mean, in all honesty, I, I feel like we have a, a, a nationwide brand. Um, I feel like we have a brand that can, that can sit alongside the Shake Shacks and the Chick-fil-A's. Uh, so expansion is, is key for us, but proper expansion is what it takes. Um, we're looking to move to Atlanta not move to Atlanta, but expand to Atlanta within the next year. And then from there, we would like to go to Miami, uh, DC, Dallas. Those are the ones that are on our list right now, but we'll see how those go and then we'll play out from there. I think being able to create strategic partnerships with uh, people that are within the company or we bring within the company to help them, not help them, but you know, put them in a position where they can have equity in the business and then trust them with running the business will be a great place for us in terms of our expansion. Uh, and that's kind of like the Chick-fil-A model a little bit. Love it. I'm here for it. I can't wait yeah. to see. Now, one of the things that me and you were also talking about in a pre-interview is this, in this concept, access to capital. 
right? It's no right. secret. A lot of black entrepreneurs struggle with getting access to capital. And we all know there's a difference between hostile capital, what did you say? And patient capital. You know, patient <laughs> capital is capital that helps us, but doesn't stress us out, right? Yeah. But hostile capital, <laughs> right. they're coming for your neck, you know? Right, right. So how important is it for our community of black entrepreneurs to have low interest loans, grants, and, you know, even, you know, uh, investment cap, growth capital, you know, to, to scale our businesses or to invest in the early stages of our businesses. Right. I mean, it's super important because, you know, there's statistical data and I don't, I don't have the exact numbers, but statistical data shows that one, we're behind the ball in the, the wealth gap in, in America. But two, it also shows that black owners tend to hire uh, others that are, you know, other minorities as well, which puts money into their pockets, which helps them feed their families. Um, and it's kind of like the, the circulation of the dollar, you know, the dollar circulates within our community for uh, less than six hours or less than six minutes, something ridiculous, where these other communities are able to turn that dollar more and more. But it really starts with ownership. You know, if, if I make a dollar into my business and then I take the dollar and I'm actually paying others that look like me, they may be taking that to use to buy food and toys for their, their kids. They may be using that to go pay rent to another landlord that is of uh, a minority descent as well. And that's kind of like how you start circulating that dollar. So we need that capital. We need that access to build these businesses since we're so far behind the eight ball. Um, and that's the only way that our community will will generate the necessary wealth to like provide for herself. How crucial was that patient capital to you during the pandemic? Um, super. I mean, without it, we I would have had to close. As simple as that. Without the resources, or without you know having our books the way they are, so that we can apply for and receive these these loans and grants, um, I would have to close my doors. And that's what happened to a lot of businesses, you know, a lot of black businesses where they had to shut down. Um, and it's super unfortunate because now you're, you're taking away that financial, um, you know, that financial piece of that community. How does it make you feel watching these, watching so many of uh, other black entrepreneurs, particularly here in the state of New Jersey, suffering, you know, while you're able to still keep moving? Um. You know, I, I mean, I, I always wish for the best for everybody. And, you know, it's kind of like it, that's something that's out of my control. I, I wish everybody could do it. You know, if anybody ever needed, like, had questions and needed help with something, I'm always one to, hey, apply for this loan, loan or apply for this grant, or, you know, these are the things that you could do. Um, but with that being said, a lot of businesses did close. But then, kind of like you said, a lot of people did thrive. So, I was able to see a lot of people doing good things and, and catching their wins, although the pandemic was going on. So hopefully even ones that, you know, lost their place were able to recoup it and get back into the action somehow. We have nonprofit, sorry, we have lenders here, impact <clears throat> investors, people that are interested in supporting black entrepreneurs. Can you talk to us about what you think the lending community is doing wrong with regards to getting capital to black entrepreneurs? So typically, I'm just thinking typically the learning community, if I was to walk in as a, as a brand new, you know, brand new, have, don't have a business yet, and I say, hey, I want to get a loan, either they're going to hit me with super high interest, 
or they're going to tell me I need this experience or these financials of two to three years in order to prove that I'm going to be able to pay this loan back. Um, and those guidelines are necessary, but there has to be a way to validate or invalidate an individual that's trying to build a business and not based on two to three years worth of history. How can I start a business if I got to have two to three years worth of history? How can I ever start? I'm trying to start. So we need, we need lenders that understand, hey, this person is trying to start. They have a business plan. They have a goal. They have milestones. We can, we can trust and try to build with this person without hitting them with super high interest. Because that's the hostile capital. Like, who wants to do that? Um, you know, I think that that's really the, the, the toughest piece is the initial start, right? So there has to be ways for, for small businesses, people that want to get into business, to be able to be validated to receive some sort of funds that helps them move the ball forward. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, let's use 100000 for an example. Don't give somebody 100000 off the rip. Maybe say, hey, look, we're going to give you 15 now, right? And you're going to use this 15 to do what you told us you're going to do with it. We're going to watch that growth, and then we'll inject another 15. After you do that, we're going to inject, you know, the next 20. And then we're going to grow with you. We're going to be understanding. We're going to grow with you so that this way, not only are you growing, but we're also, you know, we're helping you grow, and then we're growing ourselves. So we've got, again, lenders, impact investors tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. What closing remarks would you like to leave them with with regards to one, supporting black entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. two, how they can support you and what you need with burritos? Okay. Well, I think the main thing is, you know, everything that I've already said about supporting black black entrepreneurs is, is highly true and, and very necessary. Um, having that patience with black entrepreneurs, creating systems that, you know, allow people to grow versus kind of just writing them off for not meeting the, the minimum requirements of two to three years because that's honestly hard to do when you when you haven't started like i can't show you two to three year financials if i'm trying to start a business it's, it's impossible so those those things need to be changed um you know and again maybe doing this thing where you where you inject capital at certain stages to and you're guiding somebody with some mentorship to make sure that they're following the steps and you're really pushing these these entrepreneurs along so that they can survive and I'm sure once they survive, they're going to always look to you and want to help you and also be able to refer you to other, you know, other potential entrepreneurs. Uh, from Burritos, you know, for us, we are in a, in a decent financial position. Um, we can use more capital to build our, our next store. Um, we are looking to build one in North New Jersey because I'm super high on North and I feel like North is a great city. Um, I feel like it's a growing city. Uh, I feel like our brand, Burritos, matches with the city. Uh, and building out a, a store space there where we can serve our our food, you know, have a you know have a menu where there's like you know a liquor option, and become a, a a location where people just come and enjoy themselves, have good food, good vibe downtown Newark, and then go home. I think it creates like a, a new culture for the for for the city itself. Um, We've done everything that we we needed to in terms of building a brand, and that financial support would always help us move move the needle forward. Marcus, I'm looking forward to seeing your growth, and to all our listeners tuning in, this is the caliber of black entrepreneurs we got here in the state of New Jersey. They're they're getting it done without the capital now. So imagine uh, what the possibilities are once we can start pushing them some capital. 
So, uh, Marcus, where can people follow you at? How can they find you? Uh, so we have a website, www.broritosfoodtruck.com. That's B-R-O-R-I-T-O-S foodtruck.com. All of our information is there. Um, all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat is at BroritosFT, uh, B-R-O-R-I-T-O-S, and F-T for food truck. So BroritosFT, you can find us there. Um, we actually got a web series on YouTube that we need to start doing again. But yeah, we, we're all over the place. So once you type in Burritos, you're going to be able to find that. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see it. And uh, <laughs> for our listeners, I'll be, there, I'll be sure to include a link to his Instagram as well as their website um, in the show notes. And uh, Marcus, again, thanks for being here today. And for everyone that's tuning in, do me a favor and go ahead and subscribe to the best podcast on Substack, our newsletter for the series at the link in the show notes. You can listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. And uh, we'd greatly appreciate it also if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of black entrepreneurs. To learn more about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, visit www.business.ruckers.edu slash cued. That's C-U-E-E-D. We'll also include the link for that in the show notes. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.